Welcome in, everyone, to another episode of No Place Like Mahomes. I am Sean Deegan, and we get to talk about actual Chiefs football that matters and counts. So let's get to the topics and introduce the guys so we can actually talk some real football. He's working with Triller to set up the Greg Lewis versus Ronnie Harrison Jr. boxing match. Jacob Allen is with us. How are you, bud? Your references are getting way too young for me. I'm like <laughs> Uh, For those who are also old like us that don't know, Triller is the group that helps set up like the Jake Paul fights of the world. So that's the realm we're dealing with in there. Let me chime back in real quick and say, that's what I was assuming, but I didn't want to look like a really old man. (laughs) I'm bored watching an NFL player fight an NFL coach. He's just about ready to name Mike Remmers the heir apparent to Travis Kelsey. Sam Blecka is with us. How are you doing, bud? Oh, pretty good. Uh, You know, just so close. It's so far away. The one redeeming thing that Mike Rimmers could have done this year, and he he failed in the first game. So um, hopefully he gets another shot and, and, and can find the end zone. But, man, just the dream of all offensive linemen comes crashing to an end. Uh, Sam, just an updated question on that one. Please tell me you did start him in your fantasy football lineup this week. I did not. I was uh, wagering between him and – all the other guys that outscored Sean's team individually, <laughs> but I didn't. Uh, we we might have to start a uh, fantasy football update throughout this podcast because I'm Sean Deegan, and like Andy Reid, I also believe that running the ball for three yards of carry in the second half was key to the Chiefs' success in this one. And speaking of, let's get to it because the Chiefs did pull out a win over the Cleveland Browns in their season opener in a raucous Arrowhead Stadium with a final score of 33-29 to and where the Chiefs didn't lead throughout three quarters of that game. It was something I actually appreciated about the Chiefs coming into this uh, because at least they're not going to pretend this year like they care about our blood pressure. To again quote the guys on Times Ours, I think Nate Taylor was the one who coined this phrase initially, the Chiefs only play weird games And I would like to update that to the Chiefs only play stressful games because it seems like that's been the case over the last couple of years. A lot to get to in this game. So I do want to dive in here pretty quick without delay and just get your initial thoughts, how you felt coming out of this one. Um, Jake, I want to come to you here first. Given everything that happened, that the Chiefs had to do another comeback uh, against a team that we're all anticipating is it going to be a playoff team at some point here at well, not some point a playoff team this year. How did you feel coming out of this win, given everything that ensued in the words of the great Andy Reed wins don't come easy in this league. So we'll take them when we can get them. What a dynamite drop in Sam. What about you? How did you, where were you at once the final uh, bell had rung and the chiefs were able to secure a W we have become what I hate, which is a, constant saying that good teams find a way to win and the Browns will continue to Brown. We'll get into get into this now because I am still unsure about how I feel. Like I, I, it seems like I've just gone back, like you said, Sam, to a lot of cliches in order to uh, figure out my emotions on this one. Again, the Chiefs came into this one, did not lead the entire game until really the fourth quarter. Patrick Mahomes did what Patrick Mahomes does and is able to pull things out. And the flip side is when Baker Mayfield needed to make a play, he instead gets tripped up and throws an interception. Even before that, his team goes three and out when they really needed to be able to respond to a 75-yard touchdown. 
given all of the insanity that occurred, was did anything surprise you guys that happened in this game? What took you off guard um, as the game progressed? Sam, we'll flip it around and I'll come to you here. Um, I think, and, and we'll dive obviously more in detail with each kind of positional groups and things of that nature, but a lot of the things that I thought were going to be strengths coming out of the preseason were not strengths uh, or didn't show as well as I really had thought they were going to. Um, and the Browns are a very good team, as we'll get into again a little bit later, I think, as well, um, kind of maybe talking about them. But, yeah, no, it just just the, the strengths that I thought we were going to have not showing in the way that I was really hoping to see in our first game. Jacob, how about you? What, what took you off guard or was there anything that surprised you as this game went on, I will go a little more specific than Sam, but I think we are on the same thought. Sam just didn't say it. So let me also restart and say, I understand why we uh, hid two weeks ago our preview because we knew we might make ourselves look bad talking the defensive lineup so much. And then they had just an awful day outside of one quarter. But again, a win is a win. But yeah, I would say, just how poor the defense was, was a little bit surprising. And I, I do have some things on that when we get more into the defense that I'm not going to hit the complete panic button just yet. But, yeah, it was surprising how bad they looked. Yeah, that was kind of where I was at, too, is just that the things that I thought were going to be improved looked the same, and the things that I thought were going to be still be like a, a strength took what looked like a step back specifically, Like you said, the defense is the big one for me where I've always thought the defense was a solid unit. And I thought they were going to take a big step forward this year based on what we saw in the preseason. And man, it it was just not a good performance. Um, Things like the running game. I thought we're going to take a big step forward. That looked about the same. It didn't really jump out at me in any big way. Really the thing that surprised me most, and this kind of goes into the next question. Again, these are a lot of quick hitters here at the beginning before we dive into detailed topics, but this is kind of what led me into what leads us into the next question is kind of how I feel. The biggest surprise for me was how good I thought the Cleveland Browns looked and not to say that they aren't a good team because they made the playoffs last year. They're obviously a solid team with some really tremendous players like Miles Garrett, who boy, howdy, he, even though he only had, the one sack, he, he created a lot of problems for Orlando Brown Jr. Uh, on the left side of the offensive line. Uh, I really thought the safety play outside of one big play uh, for the Browns was pretty good throughout the game. I, I was actually impressed with their run defense. Just everything, in, everything about their team looked improved. Uh, save one thing, which I'll get into here in a minute. But what about you guys? How did, where, how did you feel about the Browns? when it was all said and done, even though they do give up the lead um, and, and lose a really tough one. How did you feel about the Browns uh, when the final bell had rung? Um, Sam, I'll come to you here. They're a good team. There's no denying that. And, and something I, I'll kind of come back to when we get more in depth in our positional breakdowns, I don't know if we will see a better offensive or defensive line this year because both of those position groups for the Browns are very, very good. Now, I, I think they are one of those teams that will be just my general early prediction is, is always kind of the, the darling team from now on with Baker Mayfield, but will never make it too far because of Baker Mayfield. 
I think their run game is so good that he gets disguised a lot that they have. Again, it's, it's what happens when you have that good of a running game is you have to kind of loosen up on the quarterback and the wide receivers and, and he's got to make plays. But when it came down to the, to crunch time, to winning a game, he, he's not able to continue doing that. And I'm not even talking about the final, the final play that pick just that the fourth quarter in general, I thought you saw what Baker Mayfield brings to a team, which is competence is he's a good quarterback. I think he can make plays, but he doesn't have the killer instinct like, like Patrick Mahomes does. Jacob, how about you? What were your overall thoughts about Cleveland's franchise now that we've gotten to see them live in a regular season game that counted? Yeah, I think Sam's right. They came away impressing us. And I'm going to put together two things you guys said. So first, Sam's with the lines. Yeah, the lines were well put together units for them. But also, Sean, you know, not to sell him short from two weeks ago, Sean was talking about their defensive additions. It was it was evident. You could tell they were a different squad than the playoff squad was. And I was one to just be like, oh, this team is the same team the Chiefs were on their way to blow out. And at this point, you know, coming off of a one-week insta-reaction type deal, they look like more of the number two competitor in the AFC than the Bills do by a decent amount. Of course, the Ravens are playing right now, so we don't know, but I don't see the Ravens as having as deep a roster as the Browns, and I would have said that before week one. So it's just interesting because I do think that, hey, that might be the squad that's number two this year. Uh, I can give you an update. By the time this podcast drops, that won't matter. But we're recording this actually on Monday night as opposed to Tuesday nights when we typically record. So Monday night football is actually happening as we speak. And uh, Tyson Williams, who is currently on my bench, just took it to the house from 35 yards out. So again, wasted points in my fantasy team, which is going to be the theme this year. Yeah, to emphasize your points, like, honestly, I thought the time, I don't know why the Browns played as much zone as they did. Because I thought the times they looked best was when Denzel Ward was manned up on Tyreek Hill and Newsom was floating on whoever else was out there. There were moments where, again, nobody's going to hang with Tyreek Hill for all four quarters with his speed and athleticism, but there were moments multiple times in both halves of the game where Denzel Ward is manned up on Tyreek Hill and knocked the ball away and refused to let him make a play. He looked really sharp. I really liked what I saw from Greg Newsom. I Outside of the 175-yard play, which I would credit more to Mahomes throwing the equivalent to a back shoulder throw in the middle of the field and Johnson overrunning the play, I thought the safety play for the the Browns looked really good uh, through three quarters. Anytime they went to zone, I just think they took their, their athleticism and their playmakers out of the best option for them. And that's when you started to see Travis Kelsey find holes, Tyree Kill find holes. And that was really a problem. But overall... I mean, the front four was exactly what we thought. I really, this is weird to say, but I didn't think that there was really much of a drop-off when Clowney and, um, and Garrett would come off of the field, uh, the middle of that defense with Malik Jackson and uh, Malik McDowell, which are names that I never thought I would remember. But after looking at a play-by-play guy's board for three hours of the day, you start to kind of hang on to things. Overall, like they just looked really sharp. And I do think this is the best I've ever seen Baker Mayfield play. It's just that when it comes down to it, if you're going to force them to make a play, can they do that? I think that's really the last question uh, for Cleveland is, can they make a play when you need them? And 
your surprises have been used up at this point. All right, we've talked enough about generalities and getting initial feelings to kind of set this tone. So let's get to specifics. And specifically, let's start with the most discussed topic of the Kansas City Chiefs since the Super Bowl ended, and that is the offensive line. Through three, through four quarters for me, this is a tale of two parts of the line, the interior and the tackles. I thought guard to guard, this is the best I've seen the Chiefs look since the Will Shields, Casey Wegman, and Brian Waters days. Not saying it's the same thing. It's just the best they've looked in the middle since then. I think the tackles, kind of what you had talked about, Sam, it's, it's you're not going to be able to go through them, but if you can beat them to the edge and be, get around them, it could become a real problem for the Chiefs. Now, now we'll see what adjustments they make. Again, it's the first time going against arguably – the best defensive line, at least the top three defensive line the Chiefs are going to see this year. And Miles Garrett has the ability to make anybody look bad. So we'll see uh, who ends up making what adjustments are made. But do you want to get this, get your guys' opinions here? Um, Sam, I will come to you here first. What were your opinions of the offensive line? Uh, who do you think played well and who, who left something to be desired? You, you nailed it with the guard play. I thought guard play was excellent. And I actually thought Lucas Niang played pretty admirably for this being his first real NFL snap. The worrisome part is our now marquee left tackle was not impressive at any point in this game. Now, granted, Miles Garrett might be the best defensive end in the NFL. That, that's a true statement. But I was hoping to at least see some form of slowing him down rather than just Okay, I'm going to try to push you around Patrick Mahomes. I'm going to do it again because that's all he really did was just kind of escort him around. Now, I hope that that's not a consistent thing. Maybe he's – it's hard to tell, but that was not a, uh, a super impressive showing for me for the first time in a Chiefs uniform in a real game for, for Orlando Brown Jr. But, no, everybody else with on that offensive line I thought played well. I, I was hoping to see a little bit more – of the physicality that we were kind of hoping for in the run game. But I think that defense is just so, so stout that we had to kind of go back to our, our old ways of let's just make Patrick Mahomes and Tyree kill and Travis Kelsey make everybody look dumb. Jacob, how about you? Who do you think played well? Who did not on the offensive line? Well, let me start with this. And, you know, anybody that does podcasts and loves their Twitter, they just reiterate things they say on Twitter. So I'll use mine of just, there were three rookies starting yesterday. Did anybody notice that? Because I sure didn't. So that for me is the most impressive thing is that we didn't look at that offensive line and say, Oh my gosh, they didn't fix it. But I'm right with the Sam. Sam described it perfectly the exact same way I would have, because Orlando Brown was the only one that for now has scared me. But again, you take it with a grain of salt because miles Garrett is one of the best defensive ends in the league. And he nailed it by saying, you know, you can tell Orlando Brown's move is just, I am so large that I don't even take a wide kick step because I know that I've got the inside covered. You have to get all the way around me. It's just, it was kind of weird to watch because we're so used to Eric Fisher, you know, getting out there in space and then being like, okay, I'm such a good athlete. I'm going to, I can get my hands on you. And then it's a matter of strength because that's what his weakness was. 
Orlando Brown, different story because he is so large that he's like, I don't know if I can get to you. So I'm going to make you get around me. I will say that the times that Orlando Brown Jr. did usher him around and Mahomes was able to step up in the pocket, while I wouldn't categorize that as like a dominant win necessarily, I do consider that like he got the job done. And there were moments where he absolutely did that. I think the thing we were hoping to see is a moment where he absolutely handled Miles Garrett. Not throughout the whole game, obviously. I don't think that's possible to do that with Miles Garrett. But have at least a couple moments where you definitively won against Garrett. And I, I didn't see that. Now, again, it's his first time in an offense where he was left out completely on an island against the best pass rusher in the NFL in an offense that he is being asked to pass set way more than he ever was in Baltimore. Baltimore is a run-dominant team. Even when their quarterback does drop back, half the time he's going to take off anyway and not the way Mahomes does where he's still looking to throw. It's, it's to gain yards on, with his feet. And so I'm, I'm willing to kind of call this a, like a C my D plus C minus if we start to if the next game he looks definitively better and there's continued improvement. I thought that there were more moments on the right side that matched what I thought I wanted to see from Orlando Brown with Lucas Niang, where there were times where I saw him engulf and handle Jadavian Clowney. And again, Jadavian Clowney isn't necessarily the, the same, he's not the same level pass rusher as Miles Garrett, but is a good is a good pass rusher in terms of applying pressure, maybe not equating to sacks, but is also a tremendous athlete. Those are the only two things I would like to see improved on going forward a testament to that sean is he caught tyree kill on the reverse because of how good of an athlete he is right and i don't think any of us have never have ever said that jadavion Clowney isn't necessarily a good athletic football player we're just saying he's not a great pass rusher he was supposed to be next level pass rusher and he just doesn't have the skill for it weirdly even though he's got all the tools that are necessary but I'm with you. I think what we're saying is, like you said, you know, we're not giving Orlando Brown an F. We're giving him like a C because we're like, there was some good there. I mean, what did the Chiefs give up? One sack, maybe two. But we did see a lot of pressure around the edge, and that's what scared us. And maybe Mahomes adjusts to that. We'll see. But one more thing I wanted to mention as well is I thought the running lanes looked a lot better than previous years. There was a lot more space. And part of that is because of guys trying to get all the way around the tackles. And so I'm curious to see just how that will adjust for the chiefs and how many draws we'll see that go between the guard and tackle from here on out. Yeah, I think the, so yeah, there were two sacks, one from each offensive tackle. I will say the one Lucas Niang gave up, that was Travis Kelsey's fault because of the rowdy ran it, you can watch because Travis Kelsey knew and they they talked about it on the broadcast he knew immediately they made, he didn't make the right choice on his option route but no I, I think the the one thing I do want to say is I was 100% wrong in this game because I for sure thought Miles Garrett was going to line up against Lucas Niang and just make the rookies night day completely terrible and apparently Miles Garrett I think went to his defensive coordinator and said I'm going to go earn some money and go against supposedly one of the best tackles in the game and school him all game. So I will admit when I'm wrong and I was wrong this time. I will say not to end on, uh, I didn't really go over anything positive when I spoke, but I will say to double back to what we talked about the interior to your point, Jacob, not one of those two dudes 
I mean, none of them looked like rookies, but specifically Creed Humphrey and Trey Smith did look like seasoned vets. I thought there was a definitive, that was the big thing I noticed. There was a definitive lack of pressure from the middle of the defensive line for most of the game against Patrick with Patrick Mahomes. He, he was able, and I think this is why, like, even though Miles Garrett was able to get around the edge a lot of times with Orlando Brown, why there weren't more sacks is that there was a clean pocket for Mahomes to step up into. And he was able to make those quick, uh, quick reads, quick throws, because he didn't have to take a three to five step drop and immediately bail out because there's a blitzing linebacker coming through the middle or the defensive tackle is just absolutely manhandled the guard or the center and is now coming for your quarterback. I, I just, uh, overall, the, the interior of the line, and the tuning was tuning. I mean, we, we expected him to be all pro level and there, he did nothing to dissuade me of that. So knowing that that is what's capable, even this early with the middle of the offensive line, gives me a lot of hope that, okay, the tackles are going to get things figured out as we move forward. Like you said, Lucas Niang, I thought played admirably in points. First time in an NFL field in a raucous Arrowhead stadium, nerves has got to be high. And then Orlando Brown, I already kind of set my piece on it, but Overall, I do think there's a, there's a lot to be optimistic about, even in the midst of when things were definitely not perfect uh, for the offensive line in this one. I will say the one wrapping up with my or thought on offensive line, I think the reason why, at least for me, this seemed you, you didn't think that of them as rookies is what do we think of rookies when they're put in pressure situations is they make mental mistakes and they cause penalties. That was not the case in this game. And so that I think that played a big role is that we didn't see mental mistakes, errors within the blocking scheme. Like sometimes a guy got beat, but other than that, there wasn't that what we expect to see with a bunch of rookies playing for the first time is mental mistakes. And that doesn't seem to happen in this game. On, on kind of that note, what's the, knowing everything that we've just said, what's the next step you need to see this unit take? There was good, there was bad, What's the next step that we want to see the further development of this offensive line going forward against Baltimore next week on Sunday night football? Um, Sam, I'll come to you here first on this one. I mean, I, I, I hate to beat the dead horse, but I need to see Orlando Brown be what he's cut out to be or made out to be as far as being this elite offensive tackle. I get he's transferring systems. We've talked that to death of how it is a transition for him from one offense to another. I think the biggest problem I had with our pass protection is Patrick Mahomes did not have any more time than he had last year through most of this game. He was still moving and, and having to step up and, and scramble out of the pocket just as frequently. And, and it primarily came from the left side for Miles Garrett. And again, we're not going against Miles Garrett again until likely the playoffs. And so that's uh, kind of anomaly, but I need to see that position specifically, a left tackle, be sured up for what he's supposed to be outside of that. I mean, I, I don't have a lot. I mean, I think they're still learning playing together and getting comfortable. And so I, I think it can really only go up from here as far as how the blocking schemes work and getting more comfortable. Cause I think we've saw, we saw maybe two, maybe three kind of errors where they missed a block or one guy didn't make the right, right read on a block. But other than that, I thought they played very well together for, for the first real game of the seat or that they've been together. Jacob, what about you? What, what is the next step, the next development you need to see from this offensive line? Well, hopefully you're clocking this show because this is where I disagree with Sam. 
and say, I have to disagree with Sam. He had the same amount of time in a different way. In previous years, he had to scramble out of the pocket to keep the time. Like you guys already said, he had a pocket for him the entire time. Look what you did, Sam. You upset the baby. But I, I think with, you upset him by disagreeing with me. We're all big babies. That's for sure. But uh, I'm, I'm with Sam. You know, the place you really want to see the improvement is in the guy they invested a lot in picks-wise. Uh, just a quick update. Uh, Lamar Jackson, who I did start um, in one of my fantasy leagues, just threw a touchdown pass to Hollywood Brown, who I uh, currently have on the bench in a different fantasy league. So we're just doing great over here. Hey, Sean, I, I've got Marquise Brown on my bench, too, in our league. So that's another guy that I'm benching that's going to outscore your entire team. God, just every year I think I, I'm going to do so well, and every year it's like second place or worse. I've already kind of given my thoughts on what I want to see the next the next step for the offensive line. So let's flip this and look over to what was not a pretty sight for three and a half quarters, and that is the defense. I think coming out of the preseason, we all thought, man, this defense with the amount of depth they have on the defensive line, with the cornerback play that we've seen thus far and an improved Legereus Sneed and with Tyron Matthew uh, manning kind of the middle and a lighter hitching, so it looks a little more explosive. Like, there were so many reasons that we talked about that made us think this was going to be an improved unit. And granted, against what we all said looked like an improved Cleveland team, but, man, they got worked through at least the first half, you could say. What happened in the second half that they allowed them to turn it on and able to get the stops when they needed them. Cause that's really was the difference. Um, Jacob, I will come to you first on this one. First half, they looked terrible. You could even argue through three quarters, they had a really rough go, but what happened in the second half and into the fourth quarter that allowed the chiefs to be successful on defense? What was the difference between the two? Vegas made a call and said, Hey, uh, we're looking to cover that spread. So we're going to need you guys to step up a little bit. <laughs> they didn't quite do it though. They didn't get to that four and a half that most betters were taking. <laughs> to be honest with you, it's tough to a hundred percent say because you know sometimes defense just can turn it up a notch, and sometimes that's all it is. It's just guys finally got it. But I would say if you were going to try to single out players, Chris Jones finally decided. You know, hey, let it's time to really turn it on and be the guy that they paid me for which is fine. He made the plays when he's supposed to. It's what the big money guys are supposed to do. And I think also just having a number of guys out is always tough on your team, just chemistry-wise of like, oh, who's got here, who's got here, who's got here. And let's not – so the reason I said earlier in the podcast about not hitting the panic button was you can discredit this just a little bit, but missing a guy on each level of your defense is a big deal especially when they're guys you're going to rely on. So first off, Frank Clark, that's the weakest of the argument, but still he's a guy that knows the defense and will set an edge. We know that about him. Is he what he was supposed to be when they paid him? No. Then you had Willie Gay out who supposedly was going to be your best defender this year. And then you had Tyron Matthew out. So what I'm saying is the defense looked terrible, but I'm not willing to hit the panic button just yet because I'd like to see them get I'll just say two out of those three guys back because we know that we'll 
have holes in other spots later because it's football and injuries happen. Sam, what about you? What did you see as the biggest difference from the first half to the second when it came to the Chiefs defense? So the one thing I'm going to disagree or counter you guys with is I did not think the defensive line played poorly. They didn't get as much pressure as I would like, but we knew that was potentially going to be a slight issue without having who's supposed to be our premier pass rusher on the defensive line and Frank Clark, the guy that we paid lots of money for, not playing. And still, we don't know what he's going to be. I I thought they played well. The problem of our defense was purely in the middle, and it's Matthew being out is huge. I think that we'll we'll come back to that at the end of this conversation because that's going to be a huge aspect of, of what this defense is. Number two, I hate the linebacking core without Willie Gay. The combination of Bolton and, and Hitchens is a terrible, terrible combination. They are identical in that they're really, really good kind of middle-of-the-field linebackers with good athleticism but not elite athleticism. When you put them both out there, they get exposed pretty heavily with not having that elite athleticism that Willie Gay has. And then you throw Ben Neiman into the mix, and it's just – not a not a pretty sight with our linebacking core. I thought that was by far the weakest part of the defense in this game was a linebacking core, and I think that's why we saw so many successful runs by Nick Chubb specifically, but also Kareem Hunt, is the defensive line did their job of, of moving Nick Chubb, making him choose different gaps. There was no linebacker play to fill in and take that take take it to the to finish the, the play. Um, and it was funny because again, Living in the middle of woods and not being able to watch the Chiefs game because I work on Sundays, um, I only get to kind of watch the stats and just generally on the NFL app. When I see that uh, Legereus Sneed leads the team in tackles, and I know it's a running team, without watching the game, I can tell you there's a problem just because that shouldn't shouldn't be the case unless he's just going completely insane. So, I want to hop back in on the linebacker talk just because I know we're not going to necessarily go specific groups because I am with you. Nick Bolton needs to be paired up with Lily Gay. And I think what you're trying to say, Sam, as far as the athleticism goes, is that those guys cannot run sideline to sideline. And that's tough to have two guys that can't run sideline to sideline. I think Nick Bolton looked pretty good, but he needs to be paired with the right people because I think his short, short area acceleration is what made, what excited me about him was that it's like, Oh, you know what? If he's in the right area, which he you could tell he was starting to pick it up and he was having good instinctual plays, he, he'll get the guy. But they run something to the other side of the field. Don't expect Nick Bolton to be chasing him down from 60 yards away because ain't going to happen. But when Willie Gay gets back, and we'll, hopefully this is not an Eric Berry situation of a, he's week to week, but when he gets back, I think they could make a pretty nice pair. But I'm with you in that. You can't play two old-school middle linebackers. And one more thing, and I know we crap on the guy constantly, but for all the he's smart and instinctual, Ben Neiman had zero instincts all game. It was just like, I'm watching. Oh, crap, there's a lineman five yards up the field blocking me. Oh, man. Jacob, he did have the instinct to curl into the fetal position when he got the ball. That is That's <laughs> instinct right there to know I got to get – in the fetal position so I don't get killed. Listen, as an unathletic white guy, you've got to have something in your book. So it's got to be the fundamentals. I agree with you guys on, I'll I'll put a more specific label even on it. I think north to south, 
Uh, Nick Bolton looked really good. North and South, he he attacks really well. Uh, same thing, like you said, Sam, with Hitchens. I think when Hitchens can get North and South, it's really cool to see. I think if you ask them to sit in a short zone where they have to man a, a halfback safety valve, they will be okay. And anything beyond that in coverage, you are asking a lot of either of those linebackers. And the only time I ever I saw Nick Bolton make a great play in coverage was in the fourth quarter where he was able to snuff out Nick Chubb before Nick Chubb really got his acceleration going and held into a two-yard gain on a swing route. I think the benefit of having Willie Gay Jr. come back is, is and, and frankly, Tyron Matthew coming back, is that you, it will allow you to play Willie Gay as your dime linebacker or your nickel linebacker, and then your other linebacker can be Dan Sorensen. But the problem with having Tyron Matthew out is that now Dan Sorensen has some of those responsibilities. Now Juan Thornhill has some of those responsibilities. When they went three deep safety, Armani Watts saw the field. When's the last time that happened for a significant portion of the game? So getting Willie Gay back, getting, I actually think getting those two back might actually be more important than getting Frank Clark back because I think it allows that middle of your defense to play to its strengths. Now the quote unquote unathletic white guy is Dan Sorensen. And as much as we talk about his athleticism and his age for a safety, I still would take him as your dime linebacker over Ben Neiman at this point. So if you have that combination, all of a sudden you're able to accentuate the strengths of the guys that you have. Guys like Nick Bolton, you can play on first and second down and get them out of there when it's third and seven. Guys like Willie Gay Jr., you can ask to play sideline to sideline. Let Anthony Hitchens and Nick Bolton attack north to south. And all of a sudden your defense looks a lot stronger. Real deep cut on this one, too, thought I had. And I, I think really it was from playing the Arizona Cardinals. And now, listen, I'm not trying to wish this into existence, but I'll wish it to a lesser extent. It's one of the reasons the Chiefs have to stop trading away their first-round picks because they need to get young, athletic, defensive talent that can roam all around the field. Cardinals got me excited in the preseason because, man, they have – I believe it's Saban Collins and then mm-hmm. Isaiah Simmons. Just like, man, watching those two guys that were highly drafted, in a sense, because I think Collins was the bottom of the first round and then – Isaiah Simmons was the top of the first round. It's like, man, that would be nice to have a couple of young dudes that can just get around the field and don't have character issues that you're kind of taking a coin flip on or any sort of injury history in their background, or you're not having to go find that guy in free agency and overpay a veteran. So that was the thought kind of kicking around my head. It was like, they need to stop trading their first round picks for that reason alone. I do think that, there were there were some positives out of it, but yeah, I agree. It was it would be interesting to see what Zayvon Collins looked like in a Chiefs jersey. Not that they would have had a chance at him where he was drafted, but that kind of idea. Um, again, one game. Let's see where it goes. But early signs were a lot more of a struggle than what we had initially thought. I will real quick. I will reiterate. I don't know if we'll see a better offensive line this year. So that is one thing to consider when you talk about the defensive line not performing in the way we thought is we will see few offensive lines, if any, that will perform as well as that one did this game. And the threat of the double-headed monster and the running backs makes it a very different style of game than we will see the rest of the year. Sticking Again, we're going to stay with defense here for a bit. I really want to get a little more specific, though. Obviously, we talked a lot about Nick Bolton, and he is definitely a newcomer, uh, a rookie this year. 
not the only one. Uh, guys like Mike Hughes, uh, new to this team. You have uh, Chris Jones, not a newcomer, but playing a different position. So wanted to get an idea of how you guys felt about some of the new guys that were in this team, maybe how Chris Jones looked at defensive end. What was your thought about the guys, the newcomers, or the changes that we've seen a position to position from the defense? Jacob, I'll come to you here first on this one. I would say that, sorry, that threw me off for a second. I thought somebody was porch pirating us. <laughs> I was getting ready to throw some hands. Anyway, we can cut that or we can keep it. <laughs> anyway, newcomers to the defense. All right, reset, take the testosterone down, turn down the adrenaline. <laughs> but uh, no, so the newcomers this this year, I mean, it's tough to tell because you didn't get much of a look at them because the old comers were doing a nice job keeping up most of the plays. A guy that, you know, I think we typically say is NFL average, Charvarius Ward. He had a little bit of a rough game in the sense that, you know, they, they were throwing the ball at him a lot. He was in the area, though, so none of them turned into just massive plays, but they, they were enough. And so I'd say it is tough to kind of talk about the newcomers in this one. Didn't really stand out other than Mike Hughes making the game-ending interception on a terrible throw by Baker Mayfield, which if Dan Sorensen didn't trip Baker Mayfield, I think he might have saved a pick six because that ball either way was going to be picked. But, yeah, I would say it was just kind of tough to evaluate the guys in this one for me. Uh, other than Jaron Reed, I do remember once that had a pretty nasty spin move. That was like, oh, okay, that's some athleticism for a defensive tackle that I just saw. Sam, what about you? Jaron Reed, Chris Jones moving to defensive end, Mike Hughes. Um, if there's anything else you left on the table about Nick Bolton, what were your thoughts about some of the newcomers that we got to see coming into this one? Yeah, so I, I thought uh, one of the things I loved is did we miss Bashard Breland? Not necessarily because I would have just thought it was him out there with Mike Hughes because they play very similarly. They get beat on the same kind of routes because Mike Hughes got beat a couple times, but it's the same kind of crap that Bashard Breland got beat on last year so i'm not it was like oh i'm used to that and he made the game winning or game winning interception so hey that's a positive chris jones i mean did kind of what we expected he's he didn't had one again showing what is cool about him playing defensive end um something i think i can't remember if it was sean or jacob talked about is him just making an offensive tackle now granted the second string offensive tackle after the first guy went down just look real dumb with one hand like just say hey no you're getting out of my way and I'm gonna go sack Baker Mayfield but I mean again it's it's what we have come to expect for him um, regardless of the position he's playing and Jaron Reed again I he was the one that I was hoping to see a little more out of but I'm tempering my judgment I have on our defensive line because of how how good I think that offensive line is I'm kind of giving them a slight pass um, and we'll see what kind of happens in the next couple games to see, to get my full opinion. But no, I I thought, I mean, Jacob, Jacob did. I mean, a lot of the old guys were were doing what they were meant to do. One thing I do want to mention, I thought Juan Thornhill played well. Um, I I thought he looked because even though we, that was a concern of ours. And I, I, even though he's not an old or a new guy, I thought he played up to a level that we should expect to see him playing at. So I, I was pleased to see that um, with obviously one really good pass breakup. We saw it kind of at the end of the game there. but Right, and the forced fumble. Yeah, mm-hmm. forced fumble as well. 
I thought that, again, and I agree with you guys, it's kind of an incomplete. My biggest frustration is that I might even throw Colin Saunders in there as like a new guy, considering how he hasn't really been a part of the team for quite a while. But it didn't seem like the defensive line. I almost put this as a surprising when we were talking about that bit for the what surprises about this game is how well the the Browns and Baker Mayfield manipulated the pocket to where it was really hard for the defensive line and specifically the defensive ends to really get pressure. They did a lot of read option, a lot of play fakes, a lot of rolling the pocket away from wherever Chris Jones was and made the ends move more sideline to sideline initially than really being able to get up the field and and create pressure with Baker Mayfield. So would have liked to see Chris Jones get a full game against their starting left tackle. Um, Was a little disappointed that he went out and got hurt, um, hoping he's the best. Apparently the x-rays are negative as far as like any ligament damage, which is good. Um, So hopefully he's able to make a a quick recovery and uh, we'll get to see them again in the playoffs with a fully healthy team. I thought that once the the tricks had been expended and all the surprises had been used and you got to see Faker Mayfield just have to drop back and throw the ball, that's when you saw Chris Jones get to be Chris Jones. Because instead of having to move sideline to sideline or hold down the edge and, and try to maneuver the running backs back towards the middle of the defensive front, you saw him just get up the field on a right tackle. And specifically, his sack in the fourth quarter where Arrowhead was just going ballistic. You saw how that affected that, that poor, poor tackle. And I think it was the right tackle, actually, at that point. And his get-off on his vertical set was almost non-existent because he, I, he clearly didn't hear the snap. Chris Jones was already a, like level with him by the time he started to stand up. I think if that continues, if we get to see more of that Chris Jones on straight drop-back passes, this defense is going to be fine. It's just frustrating when you didn't really get to see them. Again, why I think I'd rate this an incomplete and a, a frustrating outing overall with the defense is their, how well the Browns maneuvered the pocket to where the defensive line really didn't get to tee off much and get up the field, despite how badly the Browns did on third down, just two of nine. I don't even know if that's as much any kind of manipulation or, or pocket presence by Baker Mayfield. I think that played the threat of the run. That was they could not vertically just go vertical on on uh, pass rushing because you have to worry about Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. And we, you saw at the end of the game when they can't run the ball and they have to pass. That's when our defensive line said, "Okay, now it's time to to go to work." So I would say that's more of it than than anything the Browns did. It's just what the Browns are is you have to pay attention to the run first because of how dangerous those two are. And not to leave it out, too, I think we we are all saying, you know, credit to the Browns. They called a very good game offensively, and Baker executed that game very well until the fourth quarter was a big turning point where we saw, and I almost think it was play call because they started to try to throw the ball too much. They threw it on a first down, and that set the tone for the entire thing, and then that's when the momentum really shifted. But what I'm trying to say is let's make sure – I just wanted to make sure before we got off, like they played a near perfect game plan outside of one quarter. Agreed wholeheartedly. And, enough, and like I said, enough credit can't be given to the Browns. I thought I agree. They played a, a terrific game through really three and a half quarters. 
everybody's got a game plan until you get punched in the mouth. Or in this case, when Patrick Mahomes takes one play to score a touchdown. Yeah. And you know, the funny thing too, is that, and, and like the reason I like randomly bring that one up is to also say, just like, that was a good offense that worked the chiefs defense too. So that's why another reason I'm not hitting the eject button. And that was the other funny thing was when the Browns put in that score to go up nine with like two minutes left, not sorry, not two minutes, like a 10 minutes left. I was like, in my head, I was like, okay, this might be one that Patrick Mahomes doesn't win. And then one play later, I was like, okay, never mind. He definitely does give you that, that what I would call a, a Tom Brady feeling, where as long as your quarterback gets the ball back last, you're going to win. Like that, in the minute he threw that ball to Tyreek, that's exactly how I felt. Oh, no, they're going to win. I didn't even care well, that they were down, too. I don't remember, know if you remember, Sean, but, you know, that first Super Bowl in 50 years that the Chiefs were playing, <laughs> and the last time the Chiefs got the ball back, I looked at everybody in the room and I said, so is this what Patriots fans feel like when Tom Brady gets the ball at the end of a Super Bowl? <laughs> and everyone in the room just kind of like, shut up, we want to watch. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good feeling. It's a really good feeling. Um, to emphasize your point, Jacob, about not hitting the eject button and playing a really good offense the Chiefs did play a really good offense, as you said earlier, without three prominent starters. One at each level of the defense, on the front line, the linebackers, and the safeties. And really, the heart and soul of your defense, Tyron Matthew, I think that showed up more than anything, just because there were, there were a few times, especially in the first half, where I was watching Dan Sorensen try to get players aligned, especially when it was guys like Mike Hughes, Armani Watts, um, all on the field together and he's trying to get them all lined or Nick Bolton's on the field at the same time. You've got a lot of youth there and he's really struggling to get them all set up. I think they really missed the leadership of Matthew. And then obviously the, the mentality that Frank Clark brings and the athleticism that Willie Gay Jr. Brings all of those that we've mentioned, maybe not directly, but definitely in passing how much that affected them throughout the game. So the question remains, again, they played a very good offense, but again, without three of their studs, how much better do you think they could be when they get guys like Clark back, when they get Matthew back, when they get Gay Jr. back? Um, Jacob, we'll come to you here on this one first. Well, that is the ultimate question because it's like, this week you can use an excuse and say, oh, they're missing all these guys. But next week, or not next week necessarily because we don't know the health of everybody, even those two, we don't know how long Frank Clark's out. But you get those guys back, and they play terrible still. The first game, you can probably still be like, oh, you know, they're getting back into the swing of things. Let's see how they finish. But, yeah, I mean, that, that truly is a great question because we don't know. We don't know. But And that's why Sean asked the question because Sean asked great questions. I'd like to think it is a big deal because missing a guy on every level of your defense is important. You need someone on each level that knows what they're doing and is kind of your leader. Sam, what about you? How do you – how much better do you think this defense can get when they get their leaders and star players back? So I'll frame it like this. I think the level of concern for these players goes up as you move away from the line. Because if we think about it, Frank Clark, if we don't get him back for the rest of this season, we're like, man, that's, that's kind of disappointing. We pay him a lot of money. Willie Gay, you don't get him back. It's like, man, that really sucks. He is a big part of the defense. Matthew doesn't come back and you're like, oh, crap. Um, what do we do now? How much better can they get depends on which player actually comes back when. With Matthew back, this defense becomes a lot different because 
he is kind of the field general. Um, even though Hitchens is the play caller, Matthew, as you said, is the one that directs traffic. He's the one that does that. And he's the mid, uh, middle fielder. We've got to throw in the baseball re- reference. He's the guy that covers covers the lobs into the mid midfield and you know takes away all those little easy routes and, and is honestly the best option we have covering tight ends because we'll, I think Jarius Sneed can do it okay, but I think Tyron Matthew could have covered Njoku better just because of his instinctual ability because Njoku is just an athlete. He's not necessarily a elite route runner or anything like that. So if you're just trying to beat athleticism sometimes instinct instinct can help a lot in that because he just knows where to go um he doesn't just try to out outrun him basically so i think with willie gay and tyron matthew back this defense can look completely different honestly frank clark's a, a nice piece to bring back if if he's old frank clark again if he's frank clark from last year i'm fine keeping mike dana in there that's that works perfectly fine for me because Again, from last year, I didn't see any kind of drop-off from Mike Dana to Frank Clark, and we're paying him a whole lot less money. So, no, I think I think the defense with just the addition or re- reinsertion of Matthew and, and Willie Gay can really make a very drastic difference to the way this defense plays, kind of like what you guys talked about when we talked about what we were worried about with the sideline-to-sideline defense, not necessarily the north-to-south um, of what we've seen. I think the sideline to sideline defense looks very different with those guys in the, in the, in the lineup. I am very optimistic that once you get specifically Tyron Matthew in order of importance, I think if you get Tyron Matthew back, that this defense looks completely different just for me. Everybody knows where they need to be standpoint. Hitchens, I think is a very good Mike in that he can get you initially set. But having that, that captain who sees everything at the back of the defense and kind of has this overview, I think is really helpful, especially when he's an all pro that plays at all, like just all three levels of the defense where he'll play on the line, he'll play in the middle of the field as a robber role, and then he'll play deep safety. Having a guy that can do all of those things allows other role players, kind of like we talked about here, is let them be role players and then they can really shine in the things that they're asked to do. It's just when you ask them to do more than they're capable of, that's when the problems occur. So I think getting Matthew back where he can do all the things that he's asked to do makes your defense look completely different. I actually would say that if Frank Clark is Frank Clark, even from two years ago uh, with his first year with the Chiefs, that is more important than getting the linebacker back. The only reason I say that is because I think it would allow you to play guys like Dan Sorensen closer to the line of scrimmage instead of asking him to play deep safety where I don't think he's as effective. And again, it's, and that's only if Frank Clark is as good as he was two years ago. If he's not, I think Willie Gay Jr. is a definitively more important uh, piece at this point because of what you've said. Both of you have said the athleticism is just so much better than anything that you have at linebacker right now that it could completely reshape how you view that position group. I do think if you can get Frank Clark back, though, at a completely healthy level where he's doing, you know, nine to 12 sacks anywhere in that range, and he's still setting a great edge in the run game, allowing to, having somebody like that opposite Chris Jones, where they, neither one of them can demand a chip and you can't really roll the pocket to any one side would really uh, help uh, escalate or elevate, excuse me, the pass rush based on what we saw in this last game. So here's a, here's a question for you, Sean, and, and that 
frame of mind, the way you were thinking, who do you rather have playing up in that linebacker position, Dan Swanson or Willie Gay? I think the reason we've had to play a lot of times Dan Swanson as kind of that almost third linebacker we're in the, when we're in the three safety sets is because we haven't had an athletic linebacker before. We have never, we haven't had a guy like Willie Gay to be able to play that position. So which of the two would you rather have in that role? And this is not anything like I think there's a wrong answer because I think Dan Swanson brings something to that position where I've actually always thought I've hated Dan Swanson when he has to play deep safety. I don't mind him when he gets to play the box and be a box safety because I think he has the intelligence, number one, and then the safety athleticism with almost linebacker size, like below average safety and just slightly below average linebacker size, but combined it brings something slightly different. So this is just general question for you guys. Would you rather have a Willie Gay playing that position or a Dan Swanson? Because I, for me, I, I like what Willie Gay brings just because I think he has I think he's faster than Dan Swanson and of what we saw last year, even though he's not maybe as mentally attuned with the game as Dan Swanson is, even though we saw it a little bit in preseason, I think that he may have been picking it up a little bit more. His athleticism is just so impressive that I think it brings a different level to a defense than, than what Dan, than a guy like Dan Swanson can in that type of role. An interesting way to look at it. When you do one for one, I would much rather have Willie Gay. Um, just because I think it makes your your defense more versatile if Dan Sorensen doesn't have to exclusively be your Mike backer when you go into a dime set. And I agree that the athleticism isn't even – at this point in their careers, I don't think it's close. I think Willie, Willie Gay Jr. in whatever aspect of athleticism is, is better than Dan Sorensen. So having the guy with the better size, the better athleticism in there at the dime, 100% I'd rather have that. Again, it, I, I agree with you. I think we started to see him pick up the mental side of the game more so in preseason. So that definitely kind of alters how I look at it because I definitely would one for one. I'd rather have Willie Gay in, in at the, the dime linebacker spot. All right. So let's go ahead and look ahead to what I think is going to be a really fun matchup. Maybe more so for the Chiefs just based on history than, than their opponent. And that is that on Sunday night football, uh, this coming Sunday, the Chiefs will face off with the Baltimore Ravens, who, regardless of how, whose fandom you, you belong to, you have got to feel bad for Baltimore. They, with the amount of injuries that they have incurred and, and having, like, not career ending, but season ending and potentially career altering injuries. Nobody wants to see that. You always want everyone to have a fully healthy season and be able to say that you took their best punch and won from a competitive standpoint. But just even on the humanitarian side, watching all these guys get hurt sucks. So hopefully all of them have quick and speedy recoveries and come back exactly as they were with guys like Gus Edwards, J.K. Dobbins. Everybody get healthy, get back to this field next year. Football is better with them than without. I do want to focus initially on the quarterback matchup, because this is something that Sam has at least brought to my attention early on was what he coined as the Mahomes effect and specifically how it affected Lamar Jackson. Um, Right now, Lamar Jackson is having a really good game, 11 to 15, 128 yards and a touchdown um, also has three carries for 20 yards uh, on the ground. Overall, very good game. It's 14 to 10 at the half. Lamar Jackson's numbers against the Chiefs are not good. 
he is never thrown for for even close to, for even 60% completion percentage. His career is for against the Chiefs is 52.6. He's averaged 170 yards in the air with three total touchdowns in three games over three years and 65 yards on the ground rushing with one touchdown. Again, in a three-year span, that is what he has done. 65-yard average, I should say. Lamar Jackson has not been against the Chiefs. What really he's been against the rest of the NFL, and even in his MVP season, he did not play well. He His game in the MVP season, 51% completion percentage. Arguably, his worst game came in that in 2019. Before we get into kind of the rest of the of the unit, what do you think we'll see from Lamar Jackson? What do you expect to get from Lamar Jackson? Now he's had three years of this with the Chiefs. There's been a lot of talk about the weapons that they brought in to try and give him some safety battles with guys like Sammy Watkins, um, drafting Rashad Bateman. What do we think that we're going to get from Lamar Jackson? Sam, I'll come to you here first since you're the one that kind of brought this to my attention so long ago when we first started this. What do you think we'll see from Lamar? It's really hard to tell, and it's because we don't have an explanation as to why he has such a hard big drop-off every time he plays the Chiefs. Because I think that's the big conversation point. The past several – every time he's played us is everyone's like, oh, Lamar's having such a good season – He's going to go off against the Chiefs, and then he goes against the Chiefs, and he just can't perform. The reason I say it's the Mahomes effect is because the only thing I can comprehend or think is he's trying to show that he is as good, if not better, than Patrick Mahomes, and he he goes away from what makes him a special player. Because, what again, he is a better quarterback version of what Michael Vick was. Michael Vick was special because of what he could do with his legs. Lamar Jackson adds a quarterback on top of that because Michael Vick was never really an elite quarterback. The only time we saw that was maybe in Philadelphia when he came to Andy Reid where he played really well. But when anytime we see him go against the Chiefs, he, he tries to almost – you see sparks of the legs, you see sparks of his running ability, but it's almost like he's trying to be a prototypical passer and it doesn't work. The only reason I can think we will see anything different going into this game is all of the injuries to their back because they don't have the running backs that they expected to have. Now it seems like the, what's their running back's name that's in the game right now. I can't They said Tyson Williams. Tyson Williams. Based off what you're saying against, they're going against the Raiders. So that's like saying it's hard to tell what's actually happening without watching the game. (laughs) Um, Now he seems to be running pretty well, but again, he's not, the guys they went into the season try, hoping to have. So that could be the only thing I can see changing Lamar Jackson to playing like he usually plays against any other team in the NFL, which is being a very spectacular and really fascinating player to watch and, and how he plays to showing that instead of trying to be Patrick Mahomes. So I, I don't know. It's, it's, Again, it's hard to know. Again, this will be my sequel to the John or to the John Elway is ruining the Raiders or the ruining the Broncos is Patrick Mahomes is ruining Lamar Jackson. And that's going to be my sequel book that I will be selling on corners um, and hopefully being able to not have to record from a gazebo anymore. To emphasize your point about Michael Vick, uh, Lamar Jackson, his first season through 58 completion percentage 
and then 66. And even in what we all have thought was kind of a quote unquote down year for him last year, he was still almost 65%. Michael Vick didn't throw 60% completion percentage until uh, he got to Philadelphia in 2010 and he went to the Pro Bowl. And even then it was 62.6. It's still much less than what we kind of see in the upper tier now. Jacob, what about you? What do you expect to see from Lamar Jackson um, in this time around against the Chiefs? If the Ravens bring the right game plan, I mean, hopefully a lot more running of Lamar Jackson is what will give them a better chance at success. I'm right with Sam and, you know, just a shorter explanation of he, when they comes out and they tried to have him match Patrick Mahomes by throwing, it just ends up brutal for him. And that's been the more recent trend. Their first matchup was better, but also credit to where it's due. The Chiefs, I, I think all three times, the ends, the defensive ends almost nearly refuse to rush the passer. They just sit there and be like, hey, go ahead, my guy. Go ahead and just throw. We don't care. And then they pack the center of the field because that's the difference. And we talk about it on here a lot. That's the difference between your good and great quarterbacks is the good quarterbacks can nail a guy, hit a guy in the middle of the field all day. Great quarterbacks can put the ball anywhere on the field, including the sidelines. I guess what I'm trying to say is they need to have the Browns game plan where they're running play action and getting, you know, boot options instead of just running read option because nobody's buying into it. The ends are just staying home on both sides because they don't want Lamar to run. I do think to emphasize your point, Sam, and yours, Jacob, you said the first matchup was his best, and it was definitively his best matchup against the Chiefs. And I wonder how losing in the fashion that they did on a fourth down play, where it's a you know another heave ho to Tyreek Hill, which seems to be a thing when Holmes really needs it, he's just going to air it out and find Tyreek. And now it's like, oh, I have to be that. I have to beat that. I have to make sure I'm on the field last. And all of these things where he already came into the league with this enormous chip on his shoulder after everyone was questioning, all the major analysts are questioning, can he stick it out at quarterback? And he comes out and year one impresses with his athleticism and then year two goes off and wins the MVP. This is his last step. And really this is the last step with a lot of young quarterbacks in the league that kind of came in at the same time or around when Mahomes did. Can you beat him? And we had this conversation with Josh Allen two weeks ago where it's like, what do you need for him to be elite? He needs to win a Super Bowl and he needs to beat Mahomes. And I think that's where we're at with Lamar. And I think Lamar Jackson feels that because I think he knows how gifted he is. It's just, can it be reflected on the field? And there's this monster that hangs over him in Patrick Mahomes. Let's get some definitive opinions on what needs to happen for the Ravens to win this game. Um, Jacob, you might've alluded to it a little bit. Let's come back to you here. um, Put a definitive, definitive statement on it what do the Ravens need to do to beat the Chiefs um, on Sunday play a perfect game and hope the Chiefs bring their C game hope Tyron Matthews also out again I it's what needs to happen and we saw it can happen it's just the Browns you know didn't get their A game for the all four quarters and that was just enough for Chiefs to slip by and win Sam how about you what do you think Jim Harbaugh and the Baltimore staff and the players need to bring in order to get a W against Kansas City? I think they have to do what they do against every other team. They can't try to be the Chiefs. They can't try to do what Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid do. 
rely on Lamar Jackson's athleticism and Marquise Brown's speed because, again, what what do our cornerbacks kind of lack is just top-end speed. Let him beat you. Um, that's what we've seen lots of teams be able to do is, is take advantage of maybe our slower secondary and then let Lamar Jackson be Lamar Jackson. Let him do what makes him – what made him an MVP, what has made him be in consideration for the high-paying contract that he's working on right now. Um, and then their defense just has to do everything they can to keep it tight because I think that's the big thing is when the Ravens have to try to keep up with Kansas City, that's when they fail. So if the, if the Ravens' defense can do anything to slow us down, then I think it becomes a better matchup for the, offense, for, for the Ravens' offense for sure. In my two cents on this, I do think that running the ball is going to be key, I think. And (laughs) it's weird because we say this with all the running teams where it's you can run the ball, but it's not going to matter because eventually Mahomes is going to have the ball. And I do think that there needs to be a concerted effort that the Baltimore Ravens have the ball last. Because I think if you're not if you're not up at least two scores at the end of the game and Mahomes gets the ball, he's going to at least going to force overtime. And I think that if you're the Ravens, you need to make a concerted effort that you drag this thing out, make it muddy and difficult to where you're going to end up with the ball last. And that's a hard thing to do. But I, I think that having Mahomes now for as long as we've had him, I think to your point, Jacob, that you mentioned how, what you said when they won the Super Bowl in 2019, is this how the Patriots fans feel? I think we're starting to finally feel like, okay, well, if Mahomes has the ball at the end of the game, they'll win. And I think the rest of the league is starting to feel that too, where it's like he's done it enough now and against high-end competition that it's not just, well, we need to play a great game. It's like we need to play a great game and have the ball last at the end of the game and just play keep away. I think that's how the Ravens' best shot to win this game, barring Lamar Jackson turning into the MVP we saw in 2019 the way he did against the rest of the league and actually does that against the chiefs. Now, obviously we talked about a lot of the negatives that the chiefs had and talked a lot about their positives, but what do the chiefs need to do to take on and defeat this Baltimore team? What needs to be improved upon in order for them to, to come out with a double use? We'll go in reverse order this time. Sam, I'll come to you here first on this one. The biggest key is going to be, Number one is is getting Tyron Matthew back, and I hate that as being an improvement, but it, it in reality it is, and that's just that's not even anything they can do. It's just having your star players on the field and being available. Um, and then number two, it's it's being able to sustain um, drives with the run because I think we know what our pass can do, but when we saw that first possession in the third quarter. That was, I think, uh, of the Browns game. I think that's what changed the dynamic of that game is, is the Chiefs just being able to run the clock through every method they had, and the run played a role in that, is that they couldn't – we didn't just rely on that. And so I want to see the concerted effort of, of what this offensive line is, which are big guys. I mean, big, bruising offensive linemen being able to kind of enforce their will on a defense – and that will allow Patrick Mahomes to then, again, do what Tyree Kill, Travis Kelsey, and Patrick Mahomes have done the past several years, which is make people look dumb. But now they have to compete with a running game. It's 
pretty pretty dangerous set there. So for me, it's on defense. It's getting it's getting Tyron Matthew back, which I know is kind of a cop out, but it's what it is. And then offense, I just want to see more of a dedication to the run in a game that potentially could come down to a lot of running and on both sides. Yeah, for me, it's stay assignment sound. Don't let Lamar J- – kind of what you're talking about, Jacob, where the defensive ends, like, stay at home and make Lamar Jackson beat you with his arm. I think until you see otherwise, that's your game plan. Stay assignment sound. Don't let him get outside the pocket. Make him step up and make a throw. If he does, credit to him. Make it do him again. Um, to your point, Sam, I think getting a, a healthy Tyron Matthew back is huge. I would love to see a healthy Frank Clark as well, just to add to that rotational depth. And at that point, I think you have a lot a lot more hope with the defense because I think the assignments will get better. The overall uh, aggressiveness will get better with that defense. And again, you're not really seeing a full, full barreled up Ravens squad. So you kind of know who to key in on at this point. So just be assignment sound and, and play a decent game. And I think you can come out of this with a W because you've got still have Patrick Mahomes. All right, let's wrap this sucker and get some score predictions because I don't think we actually did that two weeks ago with the Browns, which thank God we didn't because I think we all would have been wrong. But let's go ahead and get things wrapped up here with some predictions. Jacob, I will have you lead things off this go around. What is your final score prediction for Chiefs versus Ravens? 35-24. I was going to make it closer to one score, but I do think with all the injuries that the Ravens have, part of the reason the Ravens – stuck around and were so effective in the previous games was because they had big, strong running backs, which the Chiefs have had trouble with in the past. And they don't have that this year. They don't have Dobbins, Edwards, or Mark Ingram even. And so that's why I'm going to try to be optimistic about that and say that's why I'm putting in a two-score lead, not because I think the Ravens are an awful team. I just think Chiefs are kind of catching them at the right time. I think you are discrediting the re- most recent practice squad ad of Le'Veon Bell, but that might just be me. I'll go next here. I also think it's going to be a, a two-score game. I'm going to say 31 to 20 Chiefs take this one as well. I think that, again, Sammy Watkins is a, a really good player when he's healthy. Who knows if he'll be healthy. Rashad Bateman, I think, has a lot of upside, but as a rookie. And so, really, you're looking at bracket Watkins – let Matthew handle Mark Andrews over the middle. And then let's see how IQs does against Hollywood Brown. And I think if you do that, it's going to be a real short game for the Chiefs. And we've seen what they do. We've seen what they've been able to do against a good defense as long as they keep chipping away. So over, I, I would say 31-20. And Sam, final word goes to you tonight. What is your final score prediction for Chiefs versus Ravens on Sunday night football? Well, it's already starting. We're stealing each other's scores, and we haven't even talked about this because I was going to say 31 to the 20 as well. So just to be different, let's say 38 to 24, Chiefs. I, I was kind of in the same mindset as you, Sean. I think that there's Browns will be able to score because they have Browns. The Ravens will be able to score because they do have explosive weapons, but I don't think they'll be able to have sustained offense that, like what we saw with the Browns where it was very consistent scoring. Um, it was, it was working down the field with the running game and, and getting the big plays out of their, their skill position guys, their wide receivers and tight ends when they needed it. I think you'll see big plays from the, the Ravens, but I imagine you'll see a lot more 
failed third downs, a lot of punts from the Ravens, and they're going to rely kind of on the big game with Marquise Brown. Um, I, I mean, Sammy Watt, we know what he is, and I'm not going to say he's going to be a game changer in any sense. And then I think, I think the Chiefs will have the sustained offense and just continually kind of march down the field, run the clock, and score kind of at will, hopefully, um, is my general goal, is that we'll see just the Chiefs offense be what it is with the addition of better running game, in my hope. Uh, and then chime in one more time. I nearly said 32 to whatever I was going to choose. And I was like, <laughs> wait, 32 is a tough number to get to. And then I was going to go to 31. And then I was like, you know what? I'm going to have some confidence and just say no field goals this game. Oh, man. We could have we could have done it, guys. We could have had a trifecta. Instead, we're going to have hopefully a uh, Sam score because I think that would be awesome to see a 38 spot. That'll do it for us tonight, folks. Can't tell you how much we appreciate all of you joining us tonight and giving making us a part of your day. Hopefully, the next time we'll talk to you, guys, it'll be another Chiefs W. Again, Sunday night football, Chiefs and Ravens. Until next time, we will. Uh, you all stay safe out there, and we will talk to you next week. Mm-hmm.